Dios en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González ahorrando la torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas, Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericolión, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección. Welcome back to the Peruvian Walls podcast. I almost messed that up. I, not a great start for me, but we're back. We're back. Uh, well, most of us are anyways. Uh, firstly, firstly, as always, we have Christopher on. How are you, Christopher? Pretty good, pretty good. I am sporting, if you're watching this on YouTube, my municipal jersey today because I like to wear jerseys from all, all over Peru. That's got to be a theme. All you have, to, you have to wear a different jersey every, every pod and maybe like, do a round. Or if, you, if you run out of jerseys, then just go call up Peru. And then if you find some US anyways, I can already send you some. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. I like jerseys. Okay, and uh, our other guest is uh, new, someone new in the pod, or someone I've known for a while, Brian Valdivia, my tocayo. Not really. You're with the Y. How are you, yeah. Brian? I'm good. I'm good. Hello, everyone. Good. All right. And yeah. I almost forgot my manners. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Birdie. Uh, do you have anything else to say, Brian? I, th- I think I interrupted you by accent. Oh, no, I was just saying hi to everyone, you know, that doesn't know oh. me. You know. <laughs> okay, so as you noticed, uh, you might have noticed two things. Uh, Peter, Peter's not on the pod tonight. He had a few work commitments, so shout out to him. If you listen to us after, you're awesome, and uh, we hope to have you back next week. And, yeah, we uh, the other, and, the, <laughs> and the other guy uh, we're going to have on, Kristen Eduardo, he had a few mic issues, as you saw on the, um, on the thumbnail that I made. Yeah, it's still going to be the official thumbnail for the video, but he couldn't make it tonight either because of mic issues. So, again, shout out to you if you're listening. And, yeah, we can begin. So, we can begin with the Copa Libertadores talk, as I said. And the Copa Libertadores, there are two matches. Real Silas over Santos and Alianza Lima over Boca. Let's start with Real Silas over Santos first because that was the first match. And I guess that's the... I don't want to discredit any of the matches, but you can say that's the least, the lesser important one, because most people are focused on the other one. So, um, unfortunately, I couldn't watch the match because I was at the Estadio Nacional waiting for the Alianza game. So, Christopher, take it away. Awesome. Okay. So, first of all, I think Santos. Let's be honest. Santos is a big team from Brazil. Real Garcilaso is a team that almost nobody knows outside of Peru, right? So, I, I honestly think that they underestimated uh, Real Garcilaso. I think that was their first mistake right off the bat. They they did not know where they were going and who they were going to be playing against, right? And I think that coach, the Real Garcilaso coach, uh, Oscar Ibañez, really used that to his advantage. He played a very aggressive team against a, against a Santos side that is obviously not accustomed to playing at such high altitude. And that, that was really probably the its downfall, right? I think that... It's, Real Garcilaso was smart at looking for the first goal, being aggressive from the beginning, looking for a goal right away, finding it, and not doing what some Peruvian teams have done in the past, which is, oh, we scored a goal. All right, let's back down and try to protect ourselves right now, which is something that I myself have suggested to teams like Universitario <laughs> that are currently a little bit weak. But, but, well, like I was saying, Real Garcilaso kind of pushed, continue to push on, right? My only down, the, the only thing that, that I kind of didn't like about the team is that they could have had a little bit more footwork, a lot more passes, a lot of uh, playing the ball kind of low and to the ground. There was a period there where they could continue to be, a, tried to continue to be aggressive. And so therefore they kind of relied on 
on kind of just throwing those long balls, right? Those those shots over the heads of the Santos defenders. That to me was kind of the downside of the game. But other than that, we have to give it to them. Chapo Ramua, Chapo Ramua had a wonderful game, right? Most of the Vertedores had a most of Real Garcia had a wonderful game. So, so it was uh, for sure, for sure a, a good game for them. I I did want to say that um, uh, there was there was a bit of a problem with Santos in their approach to the game. I, I again I couldn't watch the game, but I can't speak for one of the context. Uh, I was on Instagram the other day, and uh, my friend who lives here in Lima, uh, they, she she went and took a picture of one of Santos' players a day before the game. Now that that is a big mistake already. Not not taking the picture, that's totally fine. But the the big mistake is that um, you shouldn't go to a high altitude city if you have a game one day before or on the day that you arrive, because that is a big that is a big mistake. Because that's the days you're usually sick. Uh, from altitude, they, they usually get altitude sickness, and you, you're going to suffer that day. That's probably why, from what I saw, Garcia has already dominated Santos, and that's part of the big issue because you shouldn't. When I went to Cusco in, in on uh, I think December, November for the second final, I really suffered the first day. I I was with a huge headache. I was with a huge headache, and I I I, I couldn't breathe. But the next day, I ran across the whole. I ran across. I ran across a part of Cusco. And I didn't, I didn't lose my breath. So Santos' big mistake was really going on the day that they should, when he should have been there like three days before. So that was one of the biggest mistakes. Uh, Brian, I'll let you come into the discussion. What do you think of all this? Yeah, you know, Garcilaso just has to take advantage of that altitude, you know. And if they take, if they underestimate them, good for them, you know. It's a really tough team. Every every group in Copa Libertadores is tough. You know, like you said, um, in their preparation for Santos, yeah, it was it was weak, you know. There, that that's all I would like to say. Since I also was not able to watch the game. All right, no worries, uh, Christopher. Do you have anything else to add before we move to Alianza versus Boca? Um, I think I think we need to talk about well because like we were remembering last podcast, uh, Real Garcilaso had a similar start uh, last year or. 2014, right, where they went against a big Brazilian team and they had a great game. But unfortunately, right after that, they lost all their other games. So I think it's important that we kind of think about that, right? That we think about um, is this Real Garcilaso side going to be able to continue to keep, you know, working hard and getting those points at home to move on to the next stage? Or is this it? I mean, is this just kind of one spark and now they're going to be done? So... I, I, for me personally, I don't know if the decision has been made. In my mind, I, I haven't decided. I think we're going to have to see him uh, play some more for sure. Yeah, and I wanted to add to that that I don't – first of all, you gotta you got to see who, who's in Garcilas' group. They're an Argentinian, a Uruguayan, and a Brazilian. Now, they've already beat the Brazilian, and they should get wins against the Uruguayan and the, and the Argentinian because – those are the types of sides that uh, suffer in the altitude. Now, uh, Nacional, I don't rate them too highly. I, I like them. Uh, I'm Nacional in Uruguay, but I I don't think they're too good, to be honest. I, I think that they're going to – it's the rematch because they, they faced off in 2013. I got to see that's a one. They also underestimated them. And it's the rematch, but, I mean, I think this team is a little worse. Like, they might be fired up, those players, but I, I just can't see them winning. 
And you also got to remember that in 2014, Aragas played in Huancayo. They did not play in Cusco. So that this could be a bit of a more of an advantage for them. Uh, they're playing in Cusco this time. And, uh, yeah, if, if other teams uh, don't – if other teams prepare better than uh, than Renard Silaso or Renard Silaso, my bad. If other teams prepare better than Santos, then they'll give us more of a game because Santos' preparation mm-hmm. for the game was really, really poor. But that, that, I still think Renard Silaso have enough to, of them to get the home wins. Away from home, that's that's what the question really comes in. Are they are they actually any good, or are they just winning because of their home advantage? No, so, and this you guys don't have anything else. Uh, this time, uh-huh. uh, I was I was really glad to see a lot of people in the stadium. You know, there was a lot yeah, of people yeah, yeah. in the stadium. I, I was yeah. not expecting to be that many people, and yeah, and uh, hopefully with this win, they'll continue to keep going to the other Copa Libertadores games. You know. I want to see if Luis Aguiar will play in Cusco because I don't remember him playing last year when he was in Alianza in Cusco. I don't know if I'm wrong. Luis Aguiar is playing in Nacional now. I don't remember either. I uh, I, I know that uh, I I know I, I remember. I don't think he was there when they lost four one to Garcilaso in the in the Torneo Clausura. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think I remember him. But uh, yeah. Anyways. I, I was I was very happy with the crowd. Uh, we were talking about this pre-pod, but in Peru, if uh, more people are province province supporters, unless you're Arequipeño or Limeño, where you're going to support the club the club that's big there, most clubs in the uh, in provinces you're going to support them no matter who they are. Although we although Cusco's identified by Cienciano, and we can all agree that the, most people there are Cienciano fans either way. There's a few exceptions. So, anyways, let's move on. Uh, to the Alianza vs. Boca game, I was lucky enough to be at the stadium for the game. I'll talk about my experience shortly, but Brian, you're an Alianza fan. Why don't you talk about uh, your opinion of the game, what you think of the result, their performance, etc.? Well, uh, you could see as a positive and as a negative. You did lose two points from home. But the way that Boca played, they, they, put, they had control of almost the entire game. You know, if they wanted to, they, they would have pushed a little bit more. They, I think, I feel like they could have easily won the game. And um, Alianza just did what the coach told them to, you know, they, and up to that point, uh, it worked for them. You know, they, they, they didn't score. They didn't get the win at home. They were close. You know, there was a play from Howard that he didn't give it to Ramirez and then the shot from Cruzado. But you can you can look at it as a positive, you know. It's a it's a it's a big point. I guess an important team with the full house in their first game in six years, I believe. The last time they were in the group stage it was 2012. So I'm just looking at it that way and being honest, I think Alianza should aim for that third position and qualify to the next round of Copa Sudamericana because already losing two points at home, it's really hard to qualify for the next round, especially in this really tough group of Copa Libertadores. And I wanted to mention that Junior's first first loss against Palmeiras is going to really help Alianza because Junior do have to go to La Bombonera in the next match, and that is most likely a loss to them. I'm not going to rule out anything yet, but I will assume that they're going to lose there. So Alianza going to be third for one more match day, most more likely. So, um, you want to say something? No, you can't really rule out uh, anything on Copa Libertadores. That's why this is, to me, the most beautiful uh, international clubs uh, tournament. You know, you saw that the Venezuelan team beat the Copa Sudamericana champions in the Pendiente, 1-0. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I 
you know, just Alianza have to have to get those two wins at home, and I'm I, I'm sure they'll be qualifying at least at least they'll get the third place to go to the next Sudamericana round. It'll be tough, you know, but Bengocha is really smart at setting up games. Yeah, Christopher and I talked about this last pod where uh, we think that Alianza can definitely get a home win at least against one of Junior or Palmeiras because Junior aren't as good as I expected them to be. They aren't as good as I thought they would be. And uh, Palmeiras are, can be really underwhelming in the Copa Libertadores. They won the last two. They had big expectations and they let down they let down their fans both times. So I can definitely see Alianza win there. My big concern is those two teams are teams, unlike Boca, that have explosive wingers and what is Alianza's weakness the fullbacks so uh, they had yeah. covered in this last game with Lemos and Costa <clears throat> who covered the fullbacks really well but they can't always rely on that so that's the problem is that, that limits you offensively a lot so they have to be careful and besides I thought close had a good game for his standards I thought he was relatively comfortable but Garro he had a good game but he was still terrible so he was he was being beat by a side all the time on pace it was it was hard to watch, especially there in person. Now, from my experience, I'm really happy with this, the ground. It nearly filled up. Occidental didn't fill up, which comes to a surprise to no one, considering how expensive those tickets were. And uh, I think I, I'm really happy that both Cusco and Lima both filled up for the Libertadores games. I mean, like you said, Brian, this is Alianza's first Libertadores game, in, or at least group game, in six years. So it's going to have people, and especially against Boca Juniors, which is a big appeal. I mean, I, I'm not I'm I'm not an Alianza fan, and I was there. And there's a lot of people who weren't Alianza fans that I bet were there. Even some Peruvians were in Boca shirts were there. So it was, it was it was it was a party for both sides. And I think that uh, Alianza definitely got a good point, especially consider how many people were saying that they were getting battered, they will they're gonna lose badly to Boca, and they got a draw. So it's not a bad draw at all. They're the leaders in Argentina right now. They won the last championship. It looks like they're of course to win another uh, another year. Another championship this year. So I think that this is a good draw for Alianza. Uh, I was also happy with the performance uh, with, with most of the players. You can look at what ifs. Uh, like Holbrook, like you said, Holbrook shot a show where Holbrook's pass to Ramirez that could have gone. This should have been the pass instead he shot. Uh, you could always look at that. But I don't believe in what ifs because I believe what's happened happened. And that's the way it's going to be. And also, we look at what ifs. You can also look at uh, Tevez's and uh, I think it was Cardona's uh, crossbar and post. What if those went in? So if you look at what ifs, we'll be looking at Boca 2 1 win. So, Christopher, I'll let you go on to this now. What do you think of this game and what do you think about all we said? Well, I, I agree with what you guys have said. I think Bingo Chell was really smart with, with uh, bringing in uh, the right substitutes. Unfortunately, and you know that I'm going to say this, right? Posito should have come in earlier. Posito should have come in <laughs> earlier. Posito was probably the nine that Alianza needed. The thing is that I think that, and and this is this is a funny thing because I feel like Alianza had this exact same problem last year too, that they are missing a strong forward. They're missing a nine that's going to kind of give them the goals that they need. We've talked, you know, they they have other things that they're lacking in, but I at least for this specific game. Posito shouldn't come in, right? So or someone, I mean, like they need to hire, they get someone that's going to be able to to get those balls. And honestly, like uh, the Peruvian media, some some people in the Peruvian media were talking about how Alianza was playing like a four six zero, right? It was like they had a lot of them in the midfield, 
they were doing a lot of good stuff uh, for parts of the game, but there was no one to just really just put the ball behind the net or yeah. in the net, right? Yeah, so there, were, me, there were times that the wingers were, were crossing and no one was there. I think they were just crossing automatically without looking and no one was there. Yeah, they, they should have put the forward a little bit earlier. I agree they, with you there. They, they could have. They, they should have done that. They could have done that. Uh, and I think I think that was the biggest downfall. The, the other thing is that, obviously, uh, like, for example, like I'm not going to try to diverge too much, but like in the Olympics, the guy that finishes second is not as happy as the guy that finishes third, right? And it's the same way here, like uh, Alianza Lima tied. And we all feel like they were just so close. They were one kick away from that goal that could have given them the three points, right? But we do have to remember, like Brian, like you were saying, right, that that this this is Boca Juniors that they played against. And so that that tie, that point is, is really way more than what I, even I personally expected out of Alianza Lima. I mean, we, we had joked about this uh, with Brian also, during the week about how we, I expected La Alianza Lima to lose 4-0 at home, you know, 3-0 at home, something, something crazy like that. And, you know, it's, I mean, like, yeah, we have to, we have to give them a round of applause and, and say, Hey, they, you managed to, to really fight against uh, one of the team, best teams in the continent. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I'm happy with the result for Alianza Lima. And I do want to make a joke that if Peter was here with us making this podcast, he would say that Quevedo should have come on earlier, not Posito. So we would have this long debate. We would have had this long debate about who should have come in first, Posito or Quevedo. So at times I'm kind of glad both of you aren't on this time because we did, that would have been the whole podcast. Quevedo or Posito. But I, th- I, think, I think both should have come in earlier, personally. Because Posito, I mean, I don't think he's this – World or not, I don't want to say world class because that just sounds awful. I want to say like really good striker for the Peruvian division. I was not, I wasn't going to say world class by the way. I was going to say world class for Peru, but that that, that doesn't work. <laughs> so uh, I I don't want to say he's this uh, amazing forward for Peru, but he's better than what Alianza had last year. He's a lot better than Leyes. He already has three goals, and it's three goals away from equaling Pajoy's record from last year. So I think Postito has got to give him more of a chance. Now I will say this, he. There, there is a chance that Bemoche wants to have him fresh and uh, have him as a super sub, but then you want to ask the question why he came in that late that he did. Uh, I believe he came on the 86th minute, which is 86 minutes too late. You could have brought him yeah. on like the 60th minute and maybe back goal or something. I don't think so. All right, so uh, I guess we can talk about one more thing in the Libertadores before we move on to call-ups. Uh, the next week is that, or I believe it's next week. I thought it was tomorrow, but it's actually not tomorrow. The next Libertadores game is Real Garcia's first Estudiantes. Uh, it's to, they're away from home. Estudiantes are um, are the home side, and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tense game. But mm, what do you guys think of this one? This one's kind of doozy. I'll start with you, Christopher. Well, like uh, Brian said earlier, the other Brian. Um, I, I believe that the goal for both Peruvian sides right now is to try to make it to the third slot. It's not it's not that I don't have faith in the Peruvian sides, right? But we, we, we understand that we're we're facing teams that are much more impressive, at least on paper, than, than the, the two Peruvian sides in the Libertadores right now. Uh, so um, 
I think that if they keep that that as their base goal in mind, and then they can work from there, right? So, to be honest with you, I mean, now that I've seen Real Arcidasa play in the international tournament, I, I'm going to say that that uh, they can pull off a tie. Uh, that I, I mean, that's kind of what my expectations of them are. If they lose, then, I mean, that, w- that would really disappoint me, obviously. Uh, but that's kind of what I think. I think it's going to be a, a solid tie, or that's what I would hope for, at least. I say I say 2-0 for Estudiantes. Uh, I have faith, but I'm also trying to keep it kind of realistic. So I think they'll pull, pull off a 0-0, and then the second half they'll concede the two goals. That's just what I think. Although I will say that Ergarci Lasso has probably, has probably been the best international team in Peru in the last few years. Uh, I'm not just talking about 2013. I remember I remember in uh, 20, I think it was 16, I think it was 2016, where they played Aucas. And that was that was, that was one of Garcia's really low spots because uh, that was when they had Roberto Cosme as a striker. They had Wilmer de Valencia as the, as the, as the manager. It was just a mess. It, the back line was terrible. There was there was no organization at all. And they went to Ecuador, got a 2-1 loss, and then won at home in Arequipa 1-0. So I always do see Garcilaso overachieving in these tournaments. So maybe they'll um maybe they'll do something more here. But I think that this is definitely the side we want to follow if we want to do well because I mean they always they always manage to surprise me in these tournaments. Brian, what do you think on this game? Any predictions and uh, what what are your thoughts on what we said? Um, just like previous Copa Libertadores, you know, Garcilaso is always strong in the altitude. Well, at least in the 2013 Copa Libertadores, in which they managed to qualify. Um, I, if they keep zero zero in the first half, I feel like they could bring a, a one one point from Argentina. If they don't, uh, I they will definitely get zero points. Just. I would just focus on them with their home games and get those nine point nine points to qualify. But uh, I, I don't see them winning this game. I, I said it last week, too, that I think that Garcilaso's best chance to uh, get points away from home is in Montevideo, which I'm not sure when they play. It might be uh, their last game or their fourth, their fourth, the third to last game. But Nacional de Montevideo aren't very good at home. They they've showed it that they struggle sometimes at home. I think that's Garcia's best chance to get a point um, or a few three points away from home. But I maintain that Garcia will get at least one point away from home and win the rest of their home games. They're through. So that's that's just what I think. I think that, that you got to get at least one point away from home if they want to qualify, or they can win all three home games and hope they won't just draw a bunch of games. Which so far it's gone off to a good start because the Estudiantes Nacional game and then a draw. So. Yeah, Christopher, do you have anything else to say about this matter? No, I think I would. I think I would. I would agree with you that obviously, I guess the goal, if we want to see Real Madrid moving on, would be nine points, right? Like the all all points at home, and then I think with ten points is just barely enough to probably see you move on to the next stage of the tournament. We've got to make advantage of the altitude. The like. It's no excuse because the last few years we've had struggled and all Peruvians have struggled in general. And I mean, the, the two worst examples have been Juan Cayo and Melgar. And I know what I keep us not that high up, but it's still altitude. And Juan Cayo is just terrible in international competition. But this year might be different, as we'll see later on this week. We've kind of already previewed them, so we're um, not going to talk about them today. But yeah, 
So let's go to the call-ups. This is the big one. Our first off, first off, before the call-ups, we did get one question. So okay. let's, let's answer that. This is, this is kind of about the Peruvian national team. So it's kind of a segue. But the question we got is from uh, my, uh, my friend, Luzin Abel Gamarra, at Avelanda81. Uh, he says, would you take Pedro Aquino or Willier Cartagena to Russia? So I'll start with you, Brian. What would, what would you say there? I will take both of them. Definitely <laughs> both of them. I like that. Yeah. And uh, Christopher, what, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. That's a tough question. Honestly, you're putting me on the spot. I, I, I wouldn't know what to tell you. Um, hmm. I mean, they both have been. Go ahead. Go ahead. Must have been first, I suppose. If we have to choose one out of the two, for me it's a no-brainer. It's Pedro Aquino. But if we have to, but I, I, I'm agreeing with Brian that I think we have to take both because I think one of the places in, uh, I think the place after left back that struggles the most in depth is the center midfield position, which we struggle in. Like if you take on your tune uh, in Tapia, or you have Aquino, and after that there's no one. So I think that Cartagena should be the fourth choice for uh, that center mid spot. Because I mean, Cueva when he did play as an eight or was it a six? I don't remember. It was against. It was in the Bolivia game. I thought it was superb. But we can't rely on moving Cueva back to playing as a six or an eight because then who's going to go in that uh, attacking midfielder spot? I mean, it's 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 all it's a risk. I'd rather have Cueva in the number ten and then have someone who we can always rely on. So yeah. I personally think that uh, Cartagena and Aquino both have to go just for the bench for the for the depth of it. But if we had to take just one of the two, that's what the answer we wanted to hear, then I would take Aquino, no-brainer. Uh, Christopher, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think right off, I mean, like, considering that I hadn't thought about it too much, uh, from from what you're telling me, I, I would I would agree with your opinion. Uh, I mean, like, this, we have to think that it's a short squad, right? It's only 23, so it's almost like you have the main player that you know that's going to be going off against Denmark on the first game, and then you have whoever is its natural substitute. And so I kind of feel like when we're talking about Aquino and Cartagena, we're talking about what if, like, our main guys weren't able to play for some reason. And so we have to be careful there because, yeah, like, we, we don't have 30 players, you know, in the squad. We only have 23. Mm -hmm. So, but taking that into consideration, then, yeah, I think we can go with uh, probably with Aquino. I think I would, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. And speaking of Cartagena, and I'm going to just segue into the next part, uh, the next part, sorry, with the next part. Um, he wasn't he wasn't called up for the friendlies. So before we go on to the shocks uh, of the, of the call-ups of who was called up and uh, if anything else you thought was missing, what do you guys think on this exclusion? Uh, I, I can find it kind of surprising. I mean, he's not doing, he's not outstanding in Mexico, but he's playing abroad after all, and that's kind of like his philosophies. Did he perhaps see too many options, or did he want to try something? I, I mean, I, th I can establish, I think he's going to be in the preliminary squad, at least, but I mean, it's going to be hard. Uh, I, I'm surprised he wasn't called for these friendlies in general. First of all, I'll start with you. What about, about like the, the call-ups in general? Oh, just Cartagena, firstly. Just Cartagena. Uh, no, I mean, that's kind of always a risk that you have to be willing to take, right? I think all, all, all the Peruvian players kind of uh, thought, thought that through about 
you know, like, is it better if I go international? Because it seems like kind of, obviously, Gareca likes to see the players go out of Peru. But at the same time, if you stay at home, then you can you can find a spot kind of in a team and, and kind of show that, that you're playing at a consistent level to be considered uh, for, for the national squad. And some of them took a gamble and lost. Some of them took a gamble and won. So, I mean, I don't think Cartagena is like not going to be considered for the main squad still. Uh, I'm sure that that something tells me that Gareca probably talked to him. You know, Gareca probably told him, hey, you know, like I've I given you a chance. I, I want to see other people right now. So it's not like you're out of the list. I'm just uh, looking at other options and uh, I'll continue to take you on, uh, take you take you in consideration when, when the real list comes up in a few months. Yeah, possibly. He, he does go on tours a lot, and maybe not tours, but he, he does go on um, around the world a lot to see the Peruvians uh, and talk to them. So maybe Cartagena is one that the president reported. Brian, what do you think of his absence? Yeah, I, I didn't see a reason why not call him. He's constantly playing. I was surprised as well not to see him there. Uh, the 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 only thing I could think of is that he's already seen him play, you know. And every time Cartagena has played for the national team, he's done it uh, very very well against Ecuador uh, with the one more down and in Argentina, and 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 it was a real. It was I was surprised that he didn't get called up. So the only the only reason was to to maybe see. I've already seen you play, you know. So I already know how. How can you respond, you know, in high pressure games? So I'm gonna I'm gonna use these two games to check out other players. I, uh, hopefully he 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 did talk to him before. For sure, and there were a few surprises. Uh, Brian, I'll go back to you. Uh, what are the top three surprises for you in this list? Siucho. Siucho, I don't. I don't his his level is not the same as last year. Uh, I wouldn't say Duarte is a surprise because of the injuries that Gallez and Butron got. I feel like Butron would have been called if he didn't get injured against Boca, just for his experience. But now that he got injured and Penny not playing, this was the perfect timing for Alejandro Duarte to get called up. Hopefully he gets uh, playing time because he is really good. And to me, one of the surprises uh, was um, Hobert. Howard's been playing really good. He's already been on the national team, and he did not get called up. He, I, I don't think he'll make if he will make it to the World Cup, but I would have loved to see him get called up. I did include him on my preliminary squad. I think it was two weeks back, two pods back, and I think it's a matter of taste, to be honest. I honestly, I, I honestly think that it's a matter of taste because Holberg was on the uh, Holberg was on the uh, national team for the rebuilding, for the process that he wanted to take, Agareca. And he, he was called up, but he didn't really take his chance, although he has improved a lot since then. He played in a very yes. similar role to Vallejo, but I do think he has improved a lot in the last two years. He's, he's playing perhaps, better perhaps now. It's too, perhaps it's a bit too early to judge because he's it might just be a purple patch. Who knows? But I think he's playing well. He's a purple patch. I see that. Yeah, I would have called him instead of uh, Andy Polo. The same way that Cartagena I mean, called up, because uh, he's already seen Cartagena. He's, he's, Gareca has already uh, trained with Cartagena. And Andy Polo has had a lot of playing time with uh, Gareca. And he's been called up way more uh, 
way much more many times than Alejandro Hover. So I feel like this could have been the perfect timing for him to get uh, one one chance, you know, to show his to show him Shogareka if he uh, deserved to be called up to the World Cup. I still don't think he would have made it, but I would have loved to see him in these friendlies. And Christopher, I'll go to you before I go to my surprises. Top three surprises for you. Well, first of all, I think we have to start with Sucho, right? Uh, there has He has received some criticism from Universitario Finance, and that's something that we have talked about in the past, that sometimes he's a young guy, you know, we, we might put a lot of pressure on him. Uh, but I think it totally reinforces the point of why Sucho is here and Hover is not. And that is that, you know, Gareca has a style of playing and Gareca likes certain players more than others because of what he kind of has in his mind, how he wants to build a team. And that's why, to me, Sucho was a surprise. And when, the, as the Peruvian media have interviewed him about this, that's what he said. You know, he said, we like how he plays. That's why he's here. And so, I, I mean, I'm kind of happy that he's getting a chance. But, yeah, to me, that's probably a, uh, a surprise. It's kind of hard to define the word surprise because, like, like uh, Brian was saying, you know, like Duarte is a surprise because he's never been called before. But at the same time, it's like if you don't have Penny, if you don't have – Butron, and if you don't have Galese because of injury, well, Penny is not injured, but the other two are, uh, then yeah, I mean, it, it was obvious that, that Duarte was kind of the, the next one up, right? He's he's the one that's uh, been playing well for his team. He's been showing himself in San Martin, and he's a young guy that can be the next uh, the next goalie uh, for the Peru national squad in, 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 who knows, maybe in the next World Cup. Obviously, Galese is not going to be a goalie forever, right? Um, and then the third surprise, I, I mean, it's between it's obviously between uh, Christian Benavente, which is not so much of a surprise because he was he's been playing really well in in Belgium in Charleroi. I can't even pronounce that. Uh, and I think everybody, you know, saw that he was working hard to come, uh, you know, back to Peru and and represent. And so, I mean, he's really earned that. He's really earned that chance to show himself right before the World Cup. So maybe my third surprise, in, in air quotes, uh, would be Beto da Silva, right? Uh, who's played about five games with the national team and and who, you know, unfortunately didn't have a good, good um, 2017 and who seems to be starting to turn that around in Argentina this year. My only two surprises, like my, my only two real surprises of the call-ups anyways, is Sucho and Da Silva. Now, Da Silva is a name that I didn't really expect to hear. I mean, I, I do know that Gareca has always liked him, Gareca has always tried to get the best out of him. Uh, that game against Argentina and the home game, that was really impressive. When he, when he was at Cristal, he was arguably the best player in the league, arguably. But, um, yeah. Uh, he, I know Gareca has always liked him, and if Gareca gets the chance to call him up and try him, he was going to do so. And as for Siucho, I did not expect to hear his name, but I did know that Gareca had him on his radar for a while. Gareca, uh, there's a player that Gareca really liked, and I knew it was Siucho. Uh, I knew it was Siucho because Siucho plays very similarly to Edison Flores, at least when Edison Flores was in Peru, because he was a player that was an inside forward, really good at dribbling, but his, his end product is really poor, just like Flores when he was in Peru. So... I know Gareca can get the best out of Sucho just like he did, got the best out of Edison Orejas. So I'm hoping that he does He does so. Now, as for players that were not called up, 
Holberg maybe. Uh, Dulanto's not so much of a shock because Dulanto, you could argue just having a purple patch. I included him on a week two weeks ago, but he's um, many people are starting to see him as uh, someone who surpassed Silla. And uh, I think he's going to deserve a call. I think he's going to have a good enough season to get there to the preliminary squad anyways, not the World Cup itself. And I think that that's definitely the one that's there. That's definitely the one that um, there's no really surprises that were left out, in, in my opinion. Only Cartagena, and that's about it. The others, um, they're kind of players that they um, they're, they're really expected. Uh, I guess Andy Polo making this call could also be a shock because he's not getting playing time and he's not doing particularly well either. And Loyola as well. I think Loyola has mm. had enough chances mm. to improve. He's never improved. Maybe because confidence has not helped him at all. So I think that he's another player that's kind of shocking to see. Uh, Christopher, I'll go back to you. What do you think on all this? Well, let's see. I mean, let me let me go back to you. So, so I'm going to ask a question. Like if Loyola... I know there's been a lot of criticism about Loyola and his call up to the main squad. So, who who would you replace uh, for Loyola then? I mean, is if it, you had to call Loyola, who would you have called, for example? I actually would have given Ivan Santillan a chance for Loyola. Yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to say that as well. Because he's been a steady uh, player for the past six years. Yeah. And I, he, I don't think thing. he's ever been called by either Marcarian or Gareca. Or, or um, Bengoichea. I was going to say the same thing. Even Santillan is one player who could have definitely gotten a chance. Again, well, no, I'm not going to say a purple patch, but this has been his best season in a while, in my opinion. I mean, he's always been good, but in my opinion, this has been his best start to the season in a while. He's been Garcilaso's second or third best player, I want to say. Uh, as for my other choice, Jerson Vasquez is slowly getting back into form. He started off the season a bit poorly, but he would have been, uh, he was my second option last year. And this year, I'm not going to change my opinion uh, if he gets better. Because he kind of started the season off a bit lazily. But um, yeah, I think he's the other two left backs. We kind of discussed this last week. Um, Loyola is not my second choice anymore. He's young, but I think he's getting too many chances and he's not really, he's not really kicked off since, he's, he, since he got the chance. He's kind of stagnated. Still, just as poor international competitions, and yeah, he's um he's not a player. Do you guys think he should? Do you guys think he really should have gotten another chance? Brian, I'll go to you first. Yeah, no, Loyola, his level has gone down, and the same thing, you know, this was the perfect timing to see other players, and I would have called uh, Ivan Santillan for Loyola, and me, um, yeah. Okay, let me finish that. Oh no, and then maybe oh well then again he did have an injury. See Carlos Asquez once again on the uh, game call. But I can see him not getting called out due to his injury. He's just getting back into form. You saw it against Boca Juniors, he was not at a hundred percent. Yeah, and uh how about you, Christopher, before uh, we move on to the friendly previous? Hmm. No. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I have anything to add. I think I agree. I agree with what has been said. All right. So let's go on our friendly preview. We kind of briefly previewed them in the past, but mm -hmm. we kind of just added a little notes. Now we're going to go more into detail. So I'm going to go uh, again. I'm going to let you guys go first. Uh, we're going to talk about the Croatia friendly. Uh, first of all, Brian, which one's the friendly in uh, in Miami? I believe you're going to go to one of them. Am I correct? 
Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go to the one in uh, against Croatia and the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Nice. So we can we will have you on. For, we'll try to get you on for that part as well. So that'll be nice. And yep. uh, Croatia. Now here's the thing about Croatia. Croatia, in my opinion, have a better first team squad than Argentina. But the problem is that they don't have work ethic or discipline, which Argentina do. So that's why that's the difference right there. That's why Croatia never. I mean, just you gotta look at the past tournament history with Croatia. They have really good players. They have Modric, they have Mandzukic, they have Rakitic. Uh, there's another player I'm trying to remember uh, that was really good. Kovacic um, from Real Madrid. Kovacic, Kovacic, that's 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 the guy. So they have an insane midfield. Defense is kind of lackluster, but so is Argentina. So there's um there's there's a, there's a problem. There's, there's a similarity there. And yeah, uh, I think they have a really good squad. But again, you got to look at past tournament history. The World Cup 2014 went down the group stages. World Cup 2010, I don't even remember what they did there. I know they qualified, but I don't know what they did there. Uh, 2016 lost in round 16 to Portugal, the eventual champions. But it was a really dull match, and they could have done more. Yeah, they could have done more of that. So Croatia, and they, they kind of underachieved in qualifying too, where they they could have uh, gone past Belgium in the 2014 qualifiers. And I don't remember who they had this qualifier, but I, I'm pretty sure they finished second again. So, yeah, Croatia, definitely definitely an underwhelming side, but they still have really, really good players. So we got to watch out for them. Uh, what, are your opinion of, what are your opinions of Croatia, guys? What are your opinions on this game? Yeah, uh, I, I call Croatia the itchy team because all their names end in itch of some kind, right? That's <laughs> itch. Uh, they're all itch, itching for, for glory, let's put it that way, right? <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I think Peru's in a, it's in a good spot, right? I think Croatia had a, had a pretty decent run. I was just looking at the table as you were talking, Brian. Iceland finished uh, first in their group with 22 points. Croatia finished second with 20 points, right? So, I mean, yeah, Iceland, yeah, that was really, really close. That was really close. And then the next one was Ukraine with 17 points. So it was kind of between the three of them that they were fighting for those two slots. And, I mean, they were they were really solid at home from what I remember. Uh, not, like, basically undefeated at home. Uh, and, you know, there were, where they kind of had a few mistakes, which they didn't have many. Also, I mean, the quality of teams they were playing, I mean, like Turkey, Finland, Kosovo, you know, they're not known for being world soccer nations obviously so but but even then that's kind of where they they struggled a little bit more at home they were just fine right so that i mean just just kind of from that that superfluous uh, per se uh analysis i want to say that we're going to have that things are going to be okay right uh i think we have peru has that 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 uh, fighting spirit you know we want to we want to honor peredo we want to you know have a good year, have a good 2018, start with the right foot. Uh, and so, therefore, I'm I'm not too worried. Um, I think that Gareca has had a lot of time to think about this and that, yeah, that we could see a tie, we could see Peru win, but, yeah, no, I, I feel confident, per se. And, Brian, how are you? Yeah, uh, I feel like these two games with Croatia and Iceland, the the score is the least of the worries. And I just want to see, uh, hopefully, Ciucho and Alejandro Duarte play and see their development. Uh, Croatia is a, a tough team, and I I don't the 
stadium is probably going to be 90% Peruvian. And uh, I, I think, um, I think a win is possible, but then again, this is, these are friendly. Sometimes when you do your six substitutions, the, the game changes completely. So I, f I feel like with a tie and see all these new players uh, play, I'll, I'll go home happy. I'm just happy uh, that we're playing a World Cup team. You know, we're not Jamaica anymore, not yeah. Trinidad and Tobago <laughs> like back in the day on the Burga years, you know. Those friends <laughs> were just terrible. I I, I do want to say that I kind of hope I, I do want to see Peru win as always I always want to see Peru win but at the same time in these friendlies I do want to see them win one and lose one because I don't want complacency to kick in for the World Cup I don't want to think that we're world beaters for um just for winning just for winning friendly friendly games so I I really do hope that uh, we don't if we do win and we don't get complacent great but. I mean, that does get me a little nervous that it can happen. It's happened with Colombia many times in the past, and Peru's not much different in that sense. So we got to – and I think Brazil's had this problem before too. It, they, it happened with the 2013 Confederations Cup, and the Brazil press went mad, and um, they look what happened there. So you, we got to be careful. It's, it's, it's most, most, most of all, it's a South American problem, bar Argentina and Uruguay. And you can see Chile as well. There's another example when they beat Mexico 7-0. So I, I do want, I do worry a little bit about that, but I do think we'll win one and lose one. I'm not sure who to yet. I don't want to make any predictions, but I think a higher chance will beat Croatia and lose to Iceland because Iceland play more as a unit than Croatia do. And I think that's 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 the match that we're more likely to lose. I mean they're not better players than Croatia, but they're they're more they're they are they are more gelled. They're more glued together than Croatia are. Because Croatia has the talent and Iceland has the has the power, so yeah. Uh, now we can segue into the next match. Before I go to my last question of the pod, uh, what do you, what same question? What do you guys expect from this match? Do you think quality will shine tonight, or do you think uh, it's going to be more? It's going to be a more tight match due to the two teams being working as a unit. Christopher, what do you? Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that Brian's going to be in Florida. I'm planning on being in New Jersey for the um, for the ice. I can't talk for the Iceland uh, Peru versus Iceland game, and I'm super excited because that's actually the first time I'm going to be seeing the Peru national team live in my <laughs> life. So, anyways, um, uh, now uh, now that we've talked about me, let's talk about the game. Uh, so. I, I mean, like, you guys are convincing me, you know. I'm, I'm Maybe I am always a little bit more uh, positive when it comes to the Peru performance. But I, I do see as, you know, we're kind of writing that whole, like, oh, we were undefeated for a whole year thing, you know. And so maybe it I would, I would hope that maybe we tire or, you know, like if we lose against Croatia, then that can help us uh, be, even, be even better against Iceland. So... I, I honestly, not just because I want to be there that night, but I, I do think that, that Peru can beat Iceland. I think we've shown unity, just like Iceland has shown unity. I think, you know, Iceland is coming off that whole, this is the first time we're, we qualified. We're the smallest nation in the world to qualify for a World Cup. And so it's going to be uh, kind of a fight between, between two debutants because, honestly, it's been so, so long since we last went to the World Cup. It almost feels like it's for the first time that we're going too. And so hearing you guys talk, I'm going to say 
that we could lose, that we might lose the Croatia game or tie the Croatia game, but that we we will and we could be strong for for the Iceland game. Yeah, either way, I was going to say either way, you know, if we lose, this is the time to lose, you know, and to correct the mistakes than rather to do at the at the World Cup. Uh, I do want to say it is it is crazy. I just want to point this fact out that San Juan de Lurigan chose three times the population of Iceland. Just wanted to point that out. No one's really said that yet. <laughs> I was comparing El Salvador to Iceland, but I'm comparing San Juan de Lurigan chose just three times the population, which is mad if you think about it. But yeah, um, this is a hard one. This is a tough one. I definitely think that Iceland are decent side. Again, I don't think they have great players, but I do think they have a uh, unity and. You got to be careful for that. But now for the last question of the pod, uh, what what do you want to see in the lineups and the subs? Last time against Jamaica and against who was before we played uh, Paraguay, Jamaica and Paraguay, Paraguay, yeah, uh, we we saw the first team lineups with uh, many subs in the second half, and then we saw some quality. I believe in the Paraguay game we saw Manzanera, Jamaica. I don't remember who we saw, but we saw Manzanera and Sukar in those games. So what would you guys like to see from the lineup? Do you want to see the normal lineup, uh, the ones that are not injured uh, with with certain players that are injured, and then to see the new guys as the, sub, the subs, or do you want to see the subs, the new guys straight away? Brian, go to you first. No, I want to see the main team, you know, with the exception of the goalkeeper and the forward and due to the injuries and dissension for Guerrero and Gallese. And I want to give them – I don't want to see the new players uh, 10 minutes, 15 I want to see them longer. I want to see them at least 30 minutes. I do want to see Sucho, like I already mentioned it before, Sucho and, and Alejandro Duarte play at least 30 minutes out of the 100 and, uh, 180 minutes of these two friendlies. And how are you, Christopher? Well, if there's one thing that I want to see and that I really liked, I believe he did this in the Jamaica game. right? Obviously, it was Jamaica, right? So we, we weren't like super worried and we were playing in that, in at Equipa, which is altitude, a high altitude city also. But what I really liked is that he gave the, both the second and third goalie a chance uh, at the goal, right? So first, if I'm not mistaken, it was Casada um, <clears throat> that started, right? And then at the yeah, halfway yeah. mark, he gave uh, Carvalho the, the chance to, to be the goalie. And that I, kind of... I did forget about that. Because... Let's be honest, the, the one position in soccer that changes the least, right, is is the goalie, right? For example, Sport Rosario last year, Salomon Liman played all 44 games. The guy that was the, the, the second goalie did not see a minute of gameplay. And so the fact that Gareca cares about that and that he gave him at least 45 minutes each, right, I, I really want to see, see him do that again, especially because I, I do want to see if Duarte can be the goalie of the future. Right, kind of give him 45 minutes to show himself, to show what he's capable of, not just at San Martin, the little club in, in Lima, but also at, you know, at the quote-unquote world stage uh, against a, a World Cup team. I prefer Duarte to Casa any day of the week. I will say that uh, as if he's still a donkey, so you gotta, you gotta easy. That's the thing that worries me about Casa the most because. I still think he's a. Uh, I mean, you, you just look at his decision he made. He ended up a municipal when he was supposed to be for Houston for Cholos. He ended up a municipal. So you basically, I guess you could argue it was a step down. 
And if you if you stayed, Laukonen is just as strong as last year, possibly. If he and one more one other player stayed, rather. So it, it's weird. Now, as for me, before I end the pod, uh, I I agree with I agree with Brian for the most part that I think we should see the main squad play, firstly, and uh, then we should see the subs Sucho for thirty minutes, uh, Duarte for thirty minutes. Uh, I think I think um, who was the sub? I actually think Duarte should start because I'm not a big fan of Casada. Casa has not really made good decisions. I don't think he should be rewarded uh, for for that. And yeah, I, I I agree with Brian. I want to see those players. I want to see the starters. I want us to take it the friendly seriously, but also have a bit of fun with the other players. And yeah, that's my opinion. So if you guys don't have anything else to add, I will end the pod here. Um, my name is B underscore Bertina and Eight on Twitter. The the um, the Proven Waltz Twitter is at Proven and uh, I, we'll go Christopher first because he's one of the usual panelists. Christopher, what is your Twitter? First of all, you know that there's a panelist that is not with, with us tonight that would be very happy that you did not put underscore in Peru Waltz, right? You probably would have one <laughs> I, did, in I, did that last week. I did that last week and he applauded me. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah, I'll, I'll say that you, follow, you, you can follow him at Galindo PW. So he's right. always with us. He's basically the co-host of the show, but he couldn't make it tonight. So we'll add his Twitter. And now, uh, Christopher, what is your Twitter? Yeah. Anyways, so my name is Christopher Viscardo, humbly. And I am Viz, V-I-Z underscore F-C on Twitter. And Brian, what about you? Oh, mine is Brian at B-R-Y-A-N. And then the last, the first four letters are my last name, which are V as in Victor, A-L, D as in David, in 1904. All right. So thank you for listening. Make sure you tune in next week for the pod and we'll we'll see you guys soon. Con ruidos en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González orando la torre ni con las fuentes y chumpitas. Ya le mi fring y cubillas y el gran pericoleón, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la serie.